Hi, church family. This is Pastor Stewart. I'm coming to you not from the pulpit today, but from my neighbor's barn. Uh, we're here today because we've had multiple reports of COVID being out there, and I'm not sure what's going to happen in the next couple of days. So Pastor Andy and I have gotten together. Um, he may still be there live on Sunday, but I'm going to come to you videotape just in case. So I'm glad you're with us, and I hope everybody stays well, and those that are sick get better quickly. Today, we're on the subject of grace, and if you don't mind me looking down at my phone occasionally, that's where my notes are today, but grace is, is such a misunderstood concept. Uh, Baptists have little sayings to talk about grace. People talk about grace, but one thing I've discovered, I, I, I'm 61, I've been studying the Bible most of my life uh, since I could read because my parents uh, encouraged Bible reading, and grace is something I still can't quite get my mind around, my hands on, because it is such an amazing and unthinkable thing for fallen man to realize. But today I want to simplify it enough to say that grace is the fuel of the Christian. In other words, grace is the thing that empowers us, that moves us. It moves us from lostness to salvation. It moves us in our salvation to empower us to do works and the works for God. L let me read you a verse out of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. The Bible says uh, here, show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. By God's grace, he's given each of us a different gift. We, we talked about that just last week about the different gifts of God. Those gifts come by grace, and then the command is to use the grace to exercise the gifts. The big main difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this. In the Old Testament, you had Moses coming off a mountain with 10 simple commandments carved in stone. We still use that as a metaphor. If it's carved in stone, it's permanent, it means something. God put his law in 10 simple commands on stone, and no man except one has ever been able to keep that law, and that man was Jesus Christ. Because the law gave us what we should do without the power to do it. When we come to the New Testament, Paul lets us know through his writings, inspired obviously by the Holy Spirit, that the grace of God comes to empower us to live what God's called us to live. In other words, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, if you will, is responsibility without provision. In the New Testament, we understand that provision is the grace of God brought to us, bought for us on the cross by Christ, brought to us by Christ in the person, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us. In fact, I looked up a definition for grace. Encyclopedia Britannica defines grace in the religious realm as this, the spontaneous unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners and the divine influence operating in man for his regeneration and sanctification. Let me break that down because there were some other words in there I needed to look up. Spontaneous. That means that God just does it for no reason apparent to us, unmerited, we can't earn it. It is a gift, and it's a gift from the divine favor to save sinners. But it goes on, it says, and there's more to grace. It is the divine influence, the Holy Spirit in us, 
operating in man for his regeneration, which is salvation, that he, that he saves our soul and our life, and sanctification, in other words, looking more and more like Jesus. So guess what? The Encyclopedia Britannica got it right for us, that grace is a, something we can't earn, we can't deserve, we can't buy, that comes from God spontaneously into our lives to save us, then to equip us to exercise the gifts in our life. So if you're going to take anything with you today, here's what I want you to get. Grace is a gift from God that saves us and enables us to live like Christ. Baptists have said grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, but it's also God's righteousness at Christ's enabling. First thing I want us to look at is the fact that grace makes salvation possible. Here in Romans chapter 11, uh, here's what the Bible says. It's talking about when Elijah was crying out to God. He felt like God had abandoned him. He's all alone. And it says, but what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basics, basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Here, the scripture is letting us know that, that God will always keep a remnant of people when things are as blackened as they can be. In fact, as, as I'm recording this today, we still don't know who the next president of the United States is going to be. And People on both sides are going to be in despair no matter who wins. You see, our king never abdicates. He never goes away. And no matter who is president, God is still king. And God keeps a remnant by grace. And he says here that he keeps that remnant by grace because if it were any other way, if it was on the basis of works, grace wouldn't be grace. Grace is something that God gives us that we we cannot earn, we cannot deserve. And I think for humans, this is the hardest point for us to fully comprehend and hold on to. We'll talk about that as we go along, but man wants to earn what he gets. He, we're taught, especially in this country, in the way I was brought up anyway, that you work for what you get, you, you earn it, you go for it. And that bleeds so much into our religious life, for lack of a better term, into our spiritual life and our relationship to God, we feel like when we don't do the right thing, we disappoint him. We feel like when we do the wrong thing, we disappoint him or anger him or turn him against us. But the Bible says that his love for us is such so complete, his love is not based on any merit of ours, our deserving it or our earning it from him. Now, that's not to say we're not supposed to do right things and not do wrong things, and I'll come to that at the last point, but, but it, it, it is to say that salvation comes no matter what we've done or haven't done. God uses the same grace to save the, to save the vilest offender or the gentle child who grew up in church and came to faith in Christ at a tender age. Both those sinners, it takes the same amount of grace to save. And grace is the thing that brings us 
salvation. And if we can't earn it or deserve it, that means that we have to just open ourselves to it. it. Let me put it a different way. Coming at it from man's point of view, I've been talking from God's point of view. Coming from man's point of view, if you've ever desired salvation, if you ever wanted salvation, if you ever wanted Christ to be in your life and you've called out to him, it is he that has caused you to want to call out to him. A friend of mine turned me on to a book and I'm going to try to read a quote out of that book if I can. I, Forgive me, it, it, it says here, we cannot say to our will, will, will belong to the Lord. It's beyond our powers to do that. No one can will the will to will what it will not will. In other words, our will never desires God. And no matter how much we want to tell our will to desire God, it won't do it. We can't exercise our will to do what our will will not do. To have that desire in our heart, God puts it in our heart. And this quote goes on to say, only God's grace can set us free to trust in him. God's grace comes to us in an amazing way. That's why Newton wrote, amazing grace, how can it be? Or amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Uh, Wesley wrote, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Th th this idea that we who didn't deserve anything from God get a relationship with him and call him father that ends up in our eternal home be in heaven it, the human mind really cannot comprehend that the unregenerate human mind when we're saved we begin to grasp it a little bit and, and understand a little bit the extreme love of God for his creation and and for his people that he calls unto himself but grace not only is the thing that saves us in that way but grace also causes us to be able to embrace that forgiveness. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, here's how God's word puts it. Knowing beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. When we talk about grace and salvation, it sounds so selfish because we're talking about from our perspective, it is selfish. But he's saying that he does that for his glory. God wants to save us who are unsavable by human standards to show how glorious he is. To give us a, a, a salvation shows the glory of God. And so for God to do that to us when we realize that, we now can embrace the forgiveness of God. If I'm trying to earn salvation, I'm never going to be able to embrace forgiveness. If I'm trying to buy it or deserve it or do something to cause God to love me, God is so far above us and his thoughts so far above our thoughts and his ways so far above our ways, we will never do anything that comes to that level of deserving anything from God. So God's grace brings salvation into our life. And then when we realize how God did that, it causes us to embrace his forgiveness because no matter what we do, we can't deserve that forgiveness or earn it. So God's grace enables us to just accept by faith because it gives us the faith too, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we accept by faith that God has forgiven us for no other reason but because he wanted to. God does what he wants to. And what God wanted to do was save us,
by grace through faith because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. I, I hope that everybody listening to this can embrace salvation and forgiveness from God. But the only way you can do that is by grace. But let me just tell you, if you want that, if you want that salvation, if you want that forgiveness, that's God's grace already at work in your life, causing you to desire it. Because the lost man, that quote I read out of that book, the will will not will to do what it cannot will, is telling us that there is none righteous, not even one. There's no one who seeks after God. That's what the scripture says in Romans 3, quoting the Old Testament. There's no one who goes after God. There's no one who's chasing God. God chases us. He is the seeker. He is the one coming for us. He searches for the lost sheep. He searches for the lost coin. And he is the, the one who comes to the prodigal son who is returning from a far country and brings him in, not as a slave, not as a servant, but as a son. So we get salvation and we get total forgiveness and we accept both of those things by grace. point I'd like to make is that grace makes sanctification possible. We call it sanctification. That, that's an English word coming from a Greek word that means holy or set apart. Sanctification means we're getting more and more to look like Christ. We're, we're looking more and more like him, which the Bible promises us will, will happen in our salvation. That, that sanctification is a setting apart process so that we don't look like the world. We don't, we don't operate in our fallen nature because that has been put to death and we have a brand new nature. Here's how the scripture puts it in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to this world, to the passions of your former ignorance. So here scripture is telling us some words to define. He says, preparing your mind for action. In other words, getting our mind set to do what God has asked us to do and being sober-minded or serious-minded. That word means to be serious, not silly, not frivolous, not just out there, but to think seriously about what he is saying and then he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that is, and that one phrase he is saying to us, number one, that we are not like Christ yet. I, I don't think I'd get an argument on that point. You've never met anybody that's fully like Christ yet. But he's saying that at the end, when Christ comes and takes us home, then we will be fully like Christ. And so he says, set your hope on that fact. So many times we use the word hope, it sounds desperate. Oh, I hope I'll win a million dollars. I hope your favorite candidate wins the election. I hope my team wins this football game. I hope I'll be able to go there that day. And we mean that there's a chance of failure. The Bible word for hope has no room for failure. It is saying you're confident of something in the future and you confidently expect it to happen. And so when he says set your hope on that, he's saying, you don't have it yet, but you know it's coming. Set your expectation. 
set your hope on the fact that when God is finished with us, we'll look like Christ. We'll be fully sanctified. But the fullness of that doesn't happen until the day that Jesus comes back for us. Whether he comes back for us individually through death or he comes back for the whole church at once, as we know will happen uh, at the end of time, God is doing a work in you now. The Bible says that you're being changed from image to image into the image of Christ, from glory to glory. It says we look through a glass darkly now, but that day we'll look at him and see him fully as he is. First John, actually, uh, chapter 3 says, when we see him, we'll be just like him, for we will see him as he is. We're going to be changed into his image fully. But grace is the fuel on this side of eternity that causes us to look more and more like Christ every day of our life. Paul said, though this outer man is decaying, and man, with the COVID going around, and I have had diabetes all these years, I, I'm well acquainted with the fact that as I'm aging, my body is not as healthy and youthful as it used to be, obviously. So this outer man is decaying, but the inner man can grow stronger in Christ as time goes on. The, the inner man, when we feed that, when we, when we look at that, when we use the grace of God to concentrate on that, wow, we grow stronger and stronger. I'm so thankful for grace that enables me to grow in Christ no matter how old I get. This isn't for youthfulness, this is age makes it better. There's another scripture that brings home another point. It's found in Romans 12, verses 5 and 6. You see, we got to be thankful for grace because grace is the fuel. And without grace, which is an unmerited gift from God, we don't have the power to do anything. So we need to be thankful that God enables us. He gives us the, the provision for our responsibility. Don't forget that part. And so we talked about gifts last week, and now we are seeing that grace makes the use of those gifts possible. Listen to what he says in Romans 12, verses 5 and 6. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And then he goes on. He says, if prophecy, if this, if that, if the other, do it by the grace of God that gave you that gift. Because God has given different gifts to different people. And we said last week, and let me emphasize again, all the gifts that are given to us to be used in the church are used to build up, strengthen, edify, pick your word, the body of Christ, to make us stronger, to make us closer together. It is grace that does that. It is grace that works in us. And though I might have a different gift than you, our gifts should work together in harmony, not necessarily unison, harmony. Such a great musical terms. Pastor Andy will like that I'm using some musical terms here. Unison's when everyone sings the same note, and sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes we need to hear that. But harmony is when all the instruments and all the voices are singing different parts, but it blends together to make one beautiful sound. God has made the body to have different gifts to make one strong unified body a whole to serve him, to glorify him, to give him the glory that is necessary. I don't know if you can tell, I'm sitting on a tractor and this tractor is a tool that the farmer uses to, to plant, to, 
to plow, to harvest. It's a multiple use single tractor, but we're next to some other pieces of equipment. There's some in the barn that I was just in. Different pieces of equipment used for different things for the same purpose, to plant, grow, harvest a crop. Well, God's crop is fruit in our life. It's souls that don't know him coming to know him. And God uses the whole body working together to accomplish that purpose. We can't do that without the grace of God. So we have to be thankful, not only to God for his grace, but for each other that we are different and that we have different gifts. And we ought to applaud and rejoice and celebrate how God has made such a multifaceted, multi-hued body that comes together to glorify him. So use your grace to exercise your gift in the body for the growth of the body. On top of everything else that grace helps us do, grace enables us to walk in the Spirit, obeying Christ. Listen to what Hebrews 4 says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, has been tempted like we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let's look at what these verses are saying to us. It says we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. He, he came from heaven to earth and then passed back through the heavens to go back to God. That he is now our high priest. You got to understand that. We don't have a human high priest. Well, we do, but it's the man, Jesus Christ. We don't have a man on earth that is our high priest. The man Christ in heaven is our high priest. So he says, so hold fast to your confession because he goes on to say, because that high priest, he's not someone who doesn't understand the struggle that we have, the, the effort it takes to walk in the, in the spirit. He's been tempted just like we are, yet without sin. We, we forget that Jesus, when he was on earth in his body, those 33 years that he walked among us and talked and taught, that he did everything he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is true that Jesus was never anything less than God, but Philippians says he set aside the independent exercise of his deity and everything he did, he did as a dependent person on the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the will of God. And so that gives us hope because if he did it as God, what hope do we have that we could do the works of God? He's telling us here, this high priest that we have gets it. He understands. And the last verse says and that, so then let us with confidence draw near, and this phrase has always confused me, the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do you come near boldly to a throne of grace? How do you come saying to God when grace is a gift 
give me more gift. Give me more of that gift. And yet that is exactly what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, initially, we don't earn the gift. We never earn it. We never deserve it. But he says we can keep coming and asking for more of that gift. It, it, it's, I remember when they opened a restaurant in a city we used to live in. And if you stayed out all night, well, you didn't have to stay all night. But if you were the first 100 customers on the opening day, you got a year's worth of meals at that restaurant. Well, it's one of our favorite restaurants. And my wife's very adventurous. I stayed home with the children. They were young then. And she camped out all night in the parking lot and was one of the first 100. Well, this kind of breaks down because what they meant was that they gave you 365 meals. We ran through those in about three months, I think, with our children and everything. But the idea was that you would have this ongoing gift that for a year you could eat. God has given us a gift that goes on in eternity. It's not a set amount that we run out of. His grace, the Bible says, his mercies are new every morning, says in, in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, that great is his faithfulness. And so here the Bible is commanding us that we can go to God to the throne of grace and receive grace. You wouldn't go through the grown, to the throne of, of, of punishment to get grace. You gotta go to the throne of grace to get grace. God is calling his throne a throne of grace for the believer, for the one who he has saved. And then we get the mercy and grace to help us in the time of our need. He's gifted us. He's given us a gift. But if we try to operate that gift in the power of our flesh, we will use it selfishly. It will not accomplish what God sent it to do. So we have to receive grace from God to exercise the gift he gave us. We go and take that gift and by God's power, God's grace, we use it in the body to help others to grow strong. How thankful can I be of others who have gifts that I don't have and they use those to encourage me, to build me up, to strengthen me, to correct me when I'm wrong, to, to edify me when, when I'm weak, to, to lift me up and carry me when I'm hopeless and helpless. God has gifted the body so we can do that for one another but only through grace, because grace makes us use it rightly. It makes us use it not judgingly, because God is the judge, but mercifully so that we might help someone get back into the grace of God, the place where God needs them to be, or to help them through a tough time. Wow, what a great promise in scripture that we can get grace from the throne of grace to exercise our gift and walk in the spirit. final point I would like to make about grace is the misuse of grace. In Paul's day, there were uh, several heresies going around, obviously, but one of, the, one of the big ones he had to address it. People, he said, God has given grace because you're a sinner. And so they thought, oh, well, then the more I sin, the more grace I get. And, and he says, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who've died to sin still live in it. He's saying that the grace comes not just to forgive us, but to transform us. Not to just wash away the guilt of our sin, but to make us a brand new creation in Christ, he says in Corinthians, so that we could, we could follow him better. In fact, later in the chapter he says, therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. 
do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. Remember the law? We talked about it at the beginning. It gave a responsibility without a provision. Now, Paul's talking here in, in Romans about the provision of God, the grace of God to deal with our sin, but also the provision of God to live a righteous life. And so he lets us know, don't use grace as an excuse to sin because grace put to death our old nature that was in Adam and gave us a brand new nature, which is in Christ. And so we're to live in that. In fact, Hebrews uh, chapter 12 goes on to give a little bit more about this. Listen to what it says here. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. What he's saying is that when sin comes, if we fail the grace of God, we will sin and it will create a bitterness in our life. Instead of having forgiveness, the opposite of that is, is bitterness, is frustration. It, it, it's ill living. And he says, if we fail to have the grace of God, bitterness will grow in our heart and the fruit we produce will condemn many because it will be a fruit that doesn't draw people to the righteousness of Christ. It will make us look like hypocrites, make us look like failures. It is true when we fail, God's grace forgives us, but the Bible nowhere gives a comfortable place for a sinning man to lie down and rest. Paul says, may it never be, God forbid, that we should live in sin just so we can have abundant grace of forgiveness. The forgiveness has happened, that was once, but the grace is given for us to live, to continue on. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift of his son who has brought grace from God to man to live a righteous life for Christ. We've come back to where we started here today, and it's a good place to come because I want to ask you a few questions to help solidify this in your heart. Number one, has God called you to grace? Has God called you to salvation? Do you know that if you died right now, that, that heaven is your home, that God is your father, that Jesus is your savior? If you don't and you desire that, that's God calling you to himself. And so I, I hope that everyone who hears this has come to that point, but if you haven't, then today, bow your head, come to God because of his grace, and simply receive the forgiveness that he offers. Secondly, are you using grace to be obedient? Are, are you using grace as an excuse to sin? That, that would be totally wrong. Are you using grace to be obedient to God, to exercise the gifts that he's given you, and to live out a life that will look like Jesus? And the last thing, are you growing in grace? One of the scriptures we read said, but grow in grace. How do you grow in grace? Well, you stay in his word. You stay with his people. You stay in prayer. You keep doing all the things that he calls you to do. And it's not a religion of works, but as we do the things that God calls us to do, we realize how much we need his grace. And we ask him to help us and we receive that grace 
to do what he's calling us to do. We grow in grace by obeying his commandments. And frankly, one of the hardest commandments he gave is the greatest he gave us, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And the second, to love our neighbor as ourself. God's love, God's grace is without, without condition. It is without uh, merit. It is, it is just there. He gives it freely. He calls us to do that back to him and with others. We love God and we love other people by grace. I pray today that you experience the grace of God for your life. Would you bow with me in prayer to close? Lord God, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross to win grace for us. That, Lord, you came and took our place that we could receive the grace of God for ourselves. And I pray now for everyone listening, if they have not yet experienced the grace of God, that you would speak to their heart and they would call out to you and receive the grace of God in their life and to salvation. And then, Lord, that they would grow in that grace into the image of Christ. Lord, use us to help anyone who has come to that decision in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in today, listening to this, and I pray that this will be an encouragement and a help and maybe even information for you that you can follow to get under the flow of the grace of God in your life. God bless you.